Informative. Educational. Objective. Inclusive. Comprehensive. This is Progress Report. Updates and conversations from the Government Information Service. Good day and welcome to another episode of Progress Report. My name is Ivan Kana, my lovely co-host, co-host, I keep rolling my tongue on that, why do I do that? My lovely co-host, Glenniva Hodge, and today we have the Honorable Minister of Home Affairs. Um, you can call him the Honorable Minister of Home Affairs. I've known him all my life as Teacher Ken. He was my piano teacher. He was a teacher in primary school. I know him as nothing else but the chicken. Sometimes I slip up, but we have the Honorable Minister of Home Affairs, which covers some very important ministries that we're going to deep dive in today. Immigration, labor, um, what else? Lands. Lands. Physical uh, planning. Physical planning, what else? Radio Anguilla. Or communications in Radio Anguilla. Yes. Yeah, he has a very important ministry. And I mean, I touched on this the last episode with uh, the Honorable Minister of Social Development, Education, and Creative Industries. Boom, we got it. Miss um, <laughs> Deanne Kentish-Rogers. Uh, but these are the ministries that are doing a lot of things behind the scenes that are transforming the landscape legislatively. Yes. So my children, your grandchildren, our grandchildren, your great-grandchildren can have an Anguilla that we envision they would be true stakeholders of. Um, and those are things that I appreciate from education come down. The same for Glenniva. We had an interesting conversation last time. I got some good feedback. And some of what we're talking about, we can even deep dive in and kind of piggyback on. Okay. Because I don't know where you want to start today, <laughs> but I want to start on... I'll let you start today. Yeah, let me start today. High five. That's a low five, a high five. Okay, okay. Well, our producer said don't clap too hard, so that's why you're so soft. But I want to start, since we just came out of education, let's talk about, um, if we may, immigration. Where immigration is concerned, you know, children coming here, coming to school. I often hear people kind of be a bit xenophobic, if I, if I may use that term, about the Spanish-speaking population. Or any other. Or any other, when I know for a fact that some of our grandparents and great-grandparents went down, cut cane, make children down there, and they have the same rights as us. Um, we, we talked about the fact that we are looking at strengthening English as a second language and stuff with the ministers. Um, previous episode... From an immigration perspective, labor, are you seeing an uptick in Spanish-speaking persons um, on Ireland, coming to Ireland with Anguilla rights, that type of thing, just for the public to... Right. So, again, it's a pleasure being here. All right. I've heard so much about it. I've uh -huh. listened uh -huh. to quite a bit of it, and I'm very happy to be here today. I hope I can do justice to the program like many of my other colleagues have done. <laughs> I don't want to bore anybody. I, I want to make it as interesting as possible. You got some interesting stuff to talk right. about. <laughs> but, yes, so immigration, 
First of all, I preface my comments by saying I have been pushing for population growth Definitely. all through the campaign trail. As a matter of fact, I can't claim credit for it because this has been a conversation throughout government for the past 20, 25 years. I've mm -hmm. gone to many meetings at the auditorium and discussions have come up. Our population is way too small. Mm -hmm. 10, 15,000 people, and I suspect that our population is much less than 15,000 as they put. Armour. So, armour, people migrating, COVID, COVID and everything. Mm -hmm. So we need to grow our population. Okay. Right? So, yes, we have a very vibrant Spanish population. As a matter of fact, since coming to office, this administration would have appointed a Spanish liaison officer uh -huh. specifically with the intention of reaching out into the Spanish community, uh -huh. maintaining contacts, links with them. And that has been working very well. Her name is Jeanette Guzman uh -huh. um, Lamantang. Uh -huh. She works out of my ministry. And since coming to office, I've had a number of meetings with the Spanish community. Uh -huh. And a lot of the issues have been centered around immigration, visas coming to Anguilla. And as you know, in the many, many years ago, our grandfathers and great-grandfathers and fathers traveled abroad and they, as I say, they left um, a little more than they took. A little more than they took. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so we have grandchildren uh -huh. and we have great-grandchildren. And in 2019, the government of that time would have passed and got an out of council pass that that would have given Anguillian rights to great grandchildren uh -huh. once they have satisfied a residency requirement of five years. And when I got into office, I met that, but there was no mechanism for how it would work. Right. Because what we were seeing happening, persons would come in, they were bringing the documentation. So the question comes up, how do you attain five years? Uh -huh. And the only sensible solution really was a work permit. Uh -huh. But I said, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense because if you're going to be essentially concoct a work permit, because that's what it really was amounting to, just to give somebody the five years, that it makes sense. Right. So we got the AG to write an opinion on it. And basically he wrote and said, into paraphrasing, that they have to be granted from an immigration standpoint at the time. Uh -huh. So a great-grandchild, once he or she has proven their credentials and the documents and so forth, can be granted a time from an immigration standpoint to be here for five years. Okay. So I, right? have, I have a question about that before you go any further. Yes. So someone comes in, they are the great-grandchild of an Inguilian. They got to prove it. They prove it. Through birth certificates, they mm -hmm. can prove that this is who they are. They, they are who they say they are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And immigration grants them time. Right. But does time granted by immigration allow them to work? No. Okay. No. I'm getting to that. Okay. <laughs> I'm getting to that. So they have the ability to be here for five years. But then again, what are they going to do for five years? Okay. Sit around. Uh -huh. okay. <laughs> so what we are saying, now that they have the legal authority to stay here for five years, if they want to work, 
Uh-huh. To earn a living during that five years, they are free then to apply for a work permit. Uh-huh. But the work permit didn't become the sole mechanism by which they could gain their time here. Uh-huh. Because remember, okay. whether it's a work permit or time in your passport, that stamp basically is what certifies your time in Angola. Right. Uh-huh. right? And this is why I get so annoyed when persons overstay, they don't keep their status up to date. Uh-huh. And uh, sometimes they overstay for months on end. And when they come around to up filing for time a bit longer, it becomes an issue yeah. because all of a sudden now there are gaps. So let me let me let me touch something there. I had an interesting <laughs> I had an interesting um experience recently. Um took my kids to St. Martin, my children to St. Martin. Mm-hmm. My children are US citizens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I came back, the young lady, when my daughter's passport is knew she just got it. Mm-hmm. The young lady gave them a stamp and I laughed. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't being cavalier like they have called me on the last show. And I wasn't being a nuisance. I was like, you know my children ain't ever coming for time, right? <laughs> but it got even it got even worse. She stamped my UK passport as well. Where were you Why born, are we, I was born in the cottage hospital. Why are we stamping UK passports given time for a year when what? we know we are Angolans? I got a year. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what? That's, I got a year. That sounds, it sounds that's, a little... That's why most people have to get an Anguilla passport. Why, though? They going to come arrest me? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, to be honest, um, no. I, I, think, <laughs> I, think, I think the immigration officers are operating under the law. Yes. They're operating by what they are provided with. Yes. So I don't really blame the immigration officers. Um, but at the end of the day, they had British passport, uh-huh. right? All you can say in that British passport, your your place of birth is yeah. is, is whatever. Yeah. The Anguilla passport, no, once you have an Anguilla passport, that is basically a visible sign that says you're an Anguilla. I, I, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> right? But for me, personally, I have both. Uh-huh. But for the past 10, 12 years, I've only used my, 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 my UK passport. Yeah. I don't have any issues. <laughs> they don't stab you? <laughs> no, I find, because I just came in on my Angola passport and it wasn't stamped. Yeah. My sorry, my, sorry, my UK passport. Yeah, yeah. And did it you smile with them? <laughs> no, wait, wait, but, but, but wait, here's, here's, are you sure I'll, it wasn't stamped? I'll have to check. Because they're going to give you a stamp and then they're going to check that stamp and if the time and the stamping up, they're not going to stamp you again. Yeah. I'll have to look. No, I'll tell you, I'll have yeah. to look. But, you know, it's interesting that you said because, you know, you have children who are Anguillian. Yeah, that's all they know. They're, but they're Anguillian by virtue, by right. Yes, that's all we they're know. Ang- they're Anguillian, <laughs> but they were born outside of Angola, so yes. they have dual citizenship. Yes. Same with my daughter. Yes. You know, she was born in Barbados. Uh-huh. But through me, yeah. she's Anguillian. And I- I'll give you a very funny story about that. So I always had an Angola passport for her uh-huh. because I said, when you stamp her UK passport, uh-huh. I don't know where you plan to deport her from to because <laughs> <laughs> she's not going anywhere. But we recently traveled. We recently traveled to the BVI. Uh-huh. And she also have BVI rights. Uh-huh. Mm. Now, she didn't have a valid BVI passport on uh-huh. VI passport on her because uh-huh. there's no B on uh-huh. their passport. Mm-hmm. It's Virgin Islands. 
she had no valid passport. I didn't even have the expired passport on me. Mm. I came in, handed the immigration officer her Anguilla passport. Mm. Looked at her last name, Smith. Who are you related to? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then they watch mine. They go, Hodge, you from here too? Uh-huh. And I said, well, she's she, half of her family's from here. Uh-huh. I'm not. They stamped mine and didn't stamp hers. I said, stamp hers too because <laughs> when I go, she go too. They said, no, she's from here. You you would have to leave, but she stays. If if anything, I go. Oh, wow. So even her Angular passport that stated born in Barbados had nothing Virgin Islands related. They said, she is one of, literally, she's one of we. We will not stamp that. Mm. So it is, it is interesting. I, I say that to say it's interesting to see how the relationship between the different overseas territories oh. and how we look at the legislation that is very similar both in the Virgin Islands and here oh. and how it's interpreted, so to speak, and how it's applied by. And I think there's a lot of scope and, and reason for the yeah, officers I, to execute. Well, I'll <laughs> say too, uh-huh. I have traveled many times and come back home and the officer looks at me, he takes the passport and says, go ahead. He doesn't really stand in your back. capacity, not necessarily my capacity. <laughs> I mean, over the years, even before. Uh-huh. So, again, too, it depends on the discretion of the uh-huh. officer. It depends, uh-huh. too. To me, it's a myriad of factors. But what I will say about immigration officers uh-huh. for the years I've been dealing with them, and this was long before I ever thought about getting into politics. They were always very professional. That's they, what they, they were. Yes, very professional. I, I did There's not no have problem. a bad experience at all. As a matter of fact, she left. And the officer Lange was like, bye, Ivan, you don't behave. I said, no, I don't. <laughs> but I, I thought it was funny. But now that you say that, you said that the experience that you mm-hmm. had. Recently, I started thinking, we want to grow our population. Mm-hmm. We need teachers. We need doctors. We need... The whole gamut. The whole gamut mm-hmm. of persons. We are part of other colonies. Let me, let me rephrase that. We are part of other overseas territories, right? Mm-hmm. You have Munstrat, you have BVI, you have Cayman, Tox and Caicos. What is to stop us from having skilled professionals, quality persons, come from these places and just take up positions here? Work. Migrate to Anguilla. Yeah. For me, I would welcome that. Mm-hmm. But it's going to require a lot of changes to existing policies and legislation. I know there are there there was a, a very expensive legislative agenda for this year. I understand that the AG's chambers is inundated with legislation, changes to legislation and stuff like that. So we haven't seen as much come to the forefront as we wanted to. But in your time, you have another two and a half years, three years in, in office, mm-hmm. in this post. Do you think we'll see some movement there? I think that's a healthy way to grow the population. Well, for my ministry, I am pleased that we are moving full pace ahead with our legislative agenda. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which includes? Because the minimum wage, uh-huh. that is underway. They understood the policy, uh-huh. changes to the legislation. Uh-huh. They are well pace. We are putting our sights on changes to the immigration um, set up the immigration law uh-huh, because I know you did the I, e-visa I, thing yeah I mean we have the e-visa but I'll be honest I don't think that our legislation when it comes to immigration and labor is satisfying the, the, the modern needs of where we want to see this island to be can I can I say that I don't believe that it is 
right? And so we are doing our best to get it to a point where it's going to be fit for purpose. And I'm satisfied based on what is happening now. We are uh -huh. getting that stage. Okay. Yes, we have some 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 plans for immigration reform as well. Uh -huh. And we're going to at some point once we have gotten through with our, our labor um, um, sort of agenda, we're going to be looking at, at immigration. But at the end of the day, I want to see Caribbean people coming to Angola being able to buy land, build houses that don't have to wait 10 and 12 years to do so. But Mr. Minister Hodge, when you say that the Angolians going to see, and then you're going to end up in certain circulars saying that you want the Angolians to sell their lands. No, no. I'm not saying that. What are you saying? I am saying that our current population in Anguilla Too small. cannot support mm -hmm. an economy. It cannot support a public service. It cannot support most of the businesses around here. I have seen many, many businesses start up, and in two, three months, they shut down. Economies of scale, they don't have the numbers of people, the mass, mm -hmm. to generate the kinds of, of, of revenues mm -hmm. that's going to make it possible for them. When I go across to St. Martin and I see the kind of businesses in St. Martin, yeah. St. Martin, in terms of, of square miles, isn't much larger than Angola. No, neither is St. Thomas, neither is. Yeah, that is, is, is smaller. Smaller, yeah. Right? But the population of, of St. Martin. I mean, it's what, almost four times? More than that. Yeah, more than that. Yeah, we're more than that. So, we're going to have to take some very pretty aggressive steps. And the only way that we can do that is through changing our legislation. Because at the end of the day, we can't expect the immigration officers or the labor officers to do anything less than what their jobs and the law enables them to do. Right. I have, a, I have a question in terms of attitudes and the way that mm -hmm. we view persons coming into the island mm -hmm. and migrating here. Has there been any sort of research done on the attitudes of Anguillians towards population growth? and how, as a whole, how we feel about population growth. Because a lot of times I find that we hear from loud voices, mm -hmm. but loud voices doesn't necessarily equate to the majority. A few loud voices. So I, I, I don't know whether the loud voices are echoing the sentiments mm -hmm. of, and, and this is why I'm asking, I don't know whether the loud voices are echoing the sentiments of those around them and the community at large, or if it is, Ivan, <laughs> or if it is that it is just an echo chamber. Right. So let me be very clear and candid. I don't want to ever see a situation where Anguillians become a minority in this country. I don't want to ever see that. But I think there is space for Anguillians to go and flourish alongside a lot of our other Caribbean brothers and sisters. Is there space for Anguillians abroad to come back home? There is space for Anguillians abroad to come back home. Is there work for Anguillians abroad to come back home? At this time, no. So you have to create it. How do we so, fix the, that? so the question is, what comes first? The what chicken comes, yes. or the egg? 
And I know the answer right. to that. I actually so, know the answer to that. No, that's a really interesting question. Because I have been told, every time I've brought up the issue of population growth, uh -huh. I've been told, put things in place. But we've been talking about this for 20, 25 years. So I am saying the two go hand in hand. Oh. Yeah, two go hand in hand. But what because, the Bible said, build it and they'll come. Well, put it this way. Put it this way. <laughs> if we have the numbers coming in, uh -huh. they are consuming more electricity, they are buying more in the shops. Uh -huh. It will spur greater expansion in the retail industry. You will uh -huh. see more manufacturing coming on board. Uh -huh. And that will also enable greater profits to be realized. I understand. I agree. Right? But what about that transient population, though? Like, this college, the university students and their families. And, and I, I know recently you mentioned that persons coming on work permit can bring their families. Yes. Now you can check that. So yes. there's more children in the schools. Yes. They're homeborn and current in the day. Yes. Let me ask a question. Can, can our schools... See, because this is why I always ask, uh -huh. what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Because... We want, we want this. These are the things that we want because we, we know what happens when our population grows. Not so much at a, well, at a rate that we can't handle it, but if it's growing responsibly, mm -hmm. we know that businesses will see profits, you will see turnover, you will see all of those, the economies of scale, mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, but can our infrastructure and our services support what we are hoping to do. I, I think health may need some, some upgrades. I mean, we got new clinics and stuff, but we need more beds in the hospital. Right. Um, but I think our schools are at that place. Now, I tell you, that's a monstrosity of a you building You still haven't taken me. I'm going to take you up there okay. this week. There's <laughs> a monstrosity of a building over there. All the other schools have gotten larger. Yeah. I think our ports are expanding to facilitate more movement of people. Right. I think our supermarkets... Most of them are building and servicing that. I think the only only issue you might have is health. And that was magnified with COVID. Mm -hmm. um, but again, but me, again capacity. to me, health will continue to expand as the population grows as well. True. Because we will get more skilled people coming to the island, more skilled nurses, doctors, right? So to me, as the, the, the people come in, health will continue to grow to meet those demands. Look at someone like Dr. Lowe, who is one of the region's foremost doctors, I mean, the kinds of specialist services he provides. Yes. Mm -hmm. Dr. Lowe doesn't need to be in Angola. He could be a millionaire many times over in any other part of the world. Yes. He's here in Angola. The kind of services his, his facility provides, to me, is being underutilized by the smaller population. We have people come here to Dr. Lowe. That is true. People come here for even some of our health services because, yes. I mean, I'm happy to see the dialysis, dialysis unit. Yes. Mm -hmm. I, I, I was told by some folks a couple of years back that it's cheaper to come here and get dialysis than in yeah. St. Martin. Yeah. And they couldn't mm -hmm. get an appointment. Now we're building a, a unit there. So maybe we might trickle down the road to health tourism, mm -hmm. like you're saying with even Dr. Lowe, because he is at his facility. You can mm -hmm. come, you can stay overnight. Yeah. People can get their services done. They can come back for their checkups and the like. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe we need to expand that sector, like you're saying, mm -hmm. saying as well. Because yeah. I think, Ivan, you've touched on the tourism aspect, but the minister and the discussion surrounding the resident aspect, because... The more people you have coming in for the tourism side, mm -hmm. the more workers you need, mm -hmm. the more staff you need right. to be mm -hmm. able to. So that is 
again, it's it's the dynamics that. So chicken and an egg. Yes. I know. Can can I for the, for the for the sake of those listening, just a sidebar. Can I answer that riddle? Mm-hmm. Because I don't people I don't think people know the answer to the, you know the answer to the riddle. I, I'm sure you'll tell me. Ask me the question. <laughs> what is the answer to the riddle? No, ask me what came first, the chicken. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Dinosaurs laid eggs long before chickens did. That's the answer <laughs> to the riddle. <laughs> no, so my children are always giving me jokes. I found this out. But I'm saying that to say, the historical context, I don't want us to get away from. Mm-hmm. Because Angola had to, the people that we see here didn't all just start here. Right. I believe there was some, there was some, Migration from other places to Anguilla as well. I'm not going back to Christopher Columbus that met the Arawaks and whatever here. I mean, people had to come here as well. My mother's from Antigua. How did she get here? Mm-hmm. She met my father, who was a preacher in Antigua, came to uh, ha- preach, fell in love or whatever, and then I was born in the cottage hospital several <laughs> years later. Mm-hmm. That movement has been happening. Mm-hmm. Why is it that it's stunted? And why is it is more people leaving? There's a severe brain drain happening here. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants to address that. We talk about not having doctors, but our nurses are leaving. Mm-hmm. Our doctors go after studying Teachers to come back. Teachers are leaving. Teachers are leaving. Mm-hmm. Who else uh, is leaving? A lot. A lot of people are leaving. So and, per- and persons who don't, and I, I think, Ivan, this is maybe kind of segue, immigration <laughs> and labor and all of these things. Uh-huh. But a lot of persons are also leaving who are not in those traditional jobs. You see the jobs, and we spoke about this with the Minister of Education. Mm-hmm. We list those traditional jobs, but we, we have not yet invested in some of the other industries mm-hmm. that our young people are interested in. Yes. And they now find the opportunities outside of Angola, and so they leave for those. So, Like, such as? You have a lot within the creative industries that definitely was hoping you would go there. Yeah, who who leave because there's there's no room and space for them. Yeah, people as acting as it stands. Dance, gymnastics, music. Yes. A lot. We're we're losing mm-hmm. a lot of people to opportunity. You know, interestingly, mm-hmm. the people of my generation, we grew up getting a piece of land, building a house. Mm-hmm. And people not doing that anymore. What are they? They doing? have to the rent. Yeah. For a time buy a nice car, they can up and leave Angola tomorrow, go settle down in some other country for a year or two, and then they move on to somewhere else. To me, the, for us, we looked at permanency, we looked at, 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 at being able to settle down and build a house and get a family and get children. The young people of the day, they're not thinking about that. They That's are true. thinking about going wherever the opportunities are. So, so how do we capture... That's it, go right yeah. ahead. How do we capture... <laughs> because I think if we continue to think... Every generation will be different. Mm-hmm. There's going to be something that sets every generation apart mm-hmm. from the next. Mm-hmm. Whether you're a boomer, a, mil- a millennial, uh, these now... What am I mean is Gen Z? Gen Zs, yeah. because they are about to give everybody a run for their money. <laughs> they <don't> walk. <laughs> no, but they're about to give you a run for your money. And my question is, how we can speak about the differences... Or we can look at what do we do to capitalize on those right. differences. So let me draw an example. I hope you talk about Kiran. <laughs> I can come to him. Okay. <laughs> I 
for many years was a music teacher. Yes. I think I still am. I You still play in church? I still play in church. Right? Ladies and gentlemen, he used to make me frightened, by the way. Yeah. Did, you get, did you get lashes on your fingers? Ah, uh, nah. <laughs> Talked to once or twice, but. but <laughs> so, we had a Music Teachers Association, and I would prepare students back in those days, and I think there still is, the Associated Board of the Royal Schools of Music. Mm -hmm. So, children would come by me, and they would learn the scales, they would learn how to play, and they would play classical music and so forth. I did that. But you know what I found? A lot of the students came to me, not necessarily interested in playing classical music. They wanted to come and learn to play the chords. But after I learned to play by ear, I didn't show back up. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. and, and to me, the emphasis for them was being able to play some chords, and then they went for the rhythm box, and they mm -hmm. started inventing beats. A lot of music these days is not, it's all about the latest rhythm, the latest beats. Mm -hmm. So children, after a while I found, were moving away from learning to play beautiful classical music mm -hmm. and they were moving, getting into other forms of music, strumming the cards and the playing calypso and, and playing in a band and yeah. reggae and stuff. Mm -hmm. You understand me? So even, the, so even at that time, I saw the changing needs, the changing face of children and musicians, mm -hmm. even though there are a lot of them still play the classical music, mm -hmm. but there was a move away to get in a band. So we have now a lot of young bands in Angola playing really, really good music. Mm -hmm. You know, very creative music, very dynamic. Mm -hmm. And Angola has gotten a name for itself in terms of its bands. Yeah. When I used to go to Martin a lot, you would hear them, the music of the Angola bands to me playing in St. Martin even more than you hear St. Martin bands playing in St. Martin. Yeah. That was how good our music was. But that's, that goes back to the answer to the riddle. And the answer to the riddle is actually evolution, if you mm -hmm. want to call it that. Mm -hmm. And we have to evolve. That's it. Mm -hmm. What is happening now for our people to stay here? Mm -hmm. We talk about blockchain. We talk about NFTs. Mm -hmm. We talk about digital art. We talk about all these things. And it's interesting because, and I'm not putting you on the spot, but I call Keran yeah. because Keran went away and he studied what? Mechanics. He went to do engineering. He went to do engineering. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. What is he going to come back here to do? <laughs> Listen, my son knows more about my car than I do. Like, he, he could hear you started and then, okay, you need to change that. That can be done now in a month. Like, a little computer. When mm -hmm. this guy will show me how he's designing engines, modern engines, as part of his projects. This man works in a, a, a form now that, you know, in the other stuff, um, no longer people go and put stuff in boxes. Uh -huh. It is robots dashing up and down an assembly line. Uh -huh. So he fixes the robots when they go bad, and he also, when they get new robots come out, he troubleshoots them and stuff. This is the kind of things he's doing. There's no so, in Anguilla. So let me ask you, why are we still in Anguilla? Mm. Worried about the dinosaur eggs, when chickens laying eggs, ducks laying eggs, <laughs> for crying out loud, fish laying eggs. Yeah. You understand? Why are we still focused on this old way of thinking? This old way, of, like you said, the focus has been, and the parents still telling you so, go build your house, go build your house, I'm all for that. Mm -hmm. But the children saying, man, there's opportunity elsewhere. I, I, I can't remember who it was told me, but somebody told me recently, and I shared it with a friend. He said, there's nothing in the law of man that says you're supposed to burn, live, and die in the same place. I agree with okay. that. And, and what we find is a lot of people 
don't want to venture out, mm-hmm. don't want to get any other experiences, and that's telling in our workforce now because they don't have those that global mindset mm-hmm. so to go as far as if you go send Martin to live uh, uh, you get an opportunity to work someplace I encourage people to take those opportunities because it opens up your, it opens your mind to so much more mm-hmm. you talk about music when we're doing music now like I understand we have a world class facility at the Angola Music Academy yeah. but my circle my friends my brothers play music for the best of the best I into reggae music and one of my closest friends and who produces music for 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 via who I manage plays for Damien Junior Gang Mali. How you don't get any higher than that in terms of the scheme of, of reggae and it's not to brag, but I'm saying create those relationships. He came in, he loved Angola, he'd be willing to move to Angola in a heartbeat, but to do what? Mm-hmm. Like this is what Glenn Hiva keeps coming back to. That to is, do what? That is exactly what I'm saying because we want to get people to come here, but what are they coming here to, to do? do? Because while I agree with you that we don't ever want to see a case where the incoming of the migrant population is more than that of the quote-unquote Anguillian population. Mm -hmm. And and I'll I'll ask this question. As, As a youth ambassador, we have put out there and we've struggled. What is an Anguillian? Yes, we know the Constitution states what an Anguillian uh, who is an Anguillian I actually don't know who's an Anguillian so there's there's several ways in which one can be an Anguillian I know as a total dog <laughs> the national word <laughs> but I, I, I say that to say when we speak about it as with all things Ivan you spoke about your, your parents and your mom being Antiguan and coming and marrying an Anguillian mm. We live in such a global world. Your children are born U.S. citizens. Mm-hmm. My daughter is a Bayesian by birth with an Anguillian mother and a... a, 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 a right, yes. family. And yeah. the, the integration of... And the question is, is she Anguillian enough Uh-oh. simply because she isn't full Anguillian and I, 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 I have gone there and the reason I've gone there is because I think sometimes we think that a lot of these conversations mm-hmm. are exclusive to Anguilla and listening and reading news and a lot of the other OTs again the Virgin Islands again there's a former um, parliamentarian there mm-hmm. And she is quoted as saying, a true Virgin Islander is one who can trace both sides of their lineage back two or three generations. Mm. So, again... That would never happen for me. So, but but this is what I'm saying. The question is, and I take that from there and I bring it here and it's a question that has been thrown out there, yes, for political mileage and for whatever other reasons. But the question is, are you Anguillian enough? Am I Anguillian enough? What makes someone Anguillian enough? And so that's that's a question that I throw out there. I don't know if <laughs> if you think that the Constitution states that clearly enough. <laughs> the Constitution puts protections for born Anguillians. Mm-hmm. Right? So at the end of the day, 
I think we must ensure that we do not make our own people a minority in our country. Okay. I'm familiar for that. Mm -hmm. And this is why even now in labor, we are so particular when it comes to this understood policy that we're going to talk about in a bit. Mm -hmm. Because we want to be able to protect our indigenous and Guilian workers. We want to ensure that they get a fair opportunity to excel in the job market. Mm -hmm. Right? And we have to do that by ensuring that when jobs come available, they have a fair opportunity. And if they are not qualified at that particular point in time, that they are provided with the opportunity to grow into that position, whether it's through mentoring, attachments, apprenticeship, um, whatever it takes. Uh -huh. You know? So when I hear people talking about work permits and send home all the work permit holders, I will tell you categorically, if we were to send home every work permit holder in Angola's country, correct? Minister Hodge, my barber is from Santo Domingo. The guy that cuts my yard is from Dominica. Mm -hmm. After armor, I needed an electrician. He was from St. Lucia. Mm -hmm. I walk about, I walk the stores, I go into Best Buy, the cashier sounds like she's from Grenada. Mm -hmm. I know when I speak to the butcher about purchasing a piece of meat, he has an accent as well. Mm -hmm. How? I think when people talk about labor and work permits, they feel like the work, all the work permits done in the hotel, but that ain't the case. That's a, that's a very small minority. That's a very small percentage. The pharmacist, he sounds African to me. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, at the, at the, at the <laughs> hospital. Mm -hmm. um, actually, the one at Paramount, he's Guyanese. Mm -hmm. uh, where do we go? I want you to call out people. <laughs> no, you're right. I'm, no, I'm, 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 I'm yeah. making this. I'm, I'm, I'm yes, jumping I, 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 the reason, The reason I, I, I say that, because I, I appreciate what you're saying, but I'm also mindful mm -hmm. of, unfortunately, mm -hmm. where we are at and the kind of society and community and the attitudes, again, that currently exist. And I don't want anybody mm -hmm. to listen to then target, unfortunately. Right. And so, and so I, I say that to, I fully appreciate mm -hmm. what you're saying. It could be your barber. It could be mm -hmm. the cashier. It can be your doctor. It can be your whoever who isn't... Anguillian. Anguillian enough. Yeah, Anguillian enough. Let's 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 run the Anguillian <laughs> enough. Enough. But 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 again to go back to mm -hmm. what I'm saying, I think you're saying the same thing. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. We have all these people, but why are we so hesitant to even grow with these people? A number of these people still have their families back home and they can come here that's a little bump in the population they have children that have school age they can't come that need that's hard i don't even i don't even me personally i don't like i don't like that mm -hmm. and i could be wrong i'll tell you why i don't like that and we are getting to talk um in this first episode because we we are, yeah, we are, yeah we'll so be, there, there's so there's so much to there's talk so much about. to talk about but we'll we'll, we'll make this <laughs> a two-part but want to touch on something right along that line because some might say that Anguillians don't want those jobs because they don't pay well. I don't think that's the case, right? I could be wrong. 
But I want to touch on the minimum wage. But before I touch on the minimum wage, I gotta I gotta give you a little story. After completing university, I um I started a program at UVA. Yeah, you know, I even you know, I even disgusting like to talk to everybody. I talked to Flair in the world if you give me a chance. And I I I was everything at UVA except Miss UVA for obvious reasons. I didn't have the apparatus. <laughs> so I was student government president, resident assistant, everything. And I started some programs at UVA that were that turned out to be a recruitment tool. I applied for the recruiter job after school. They got me a, a INS authorization to work, blah, 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 I worked for UVI. The job was paying, I think, $35,000 a year. They advertised the post. It was advertised at $75,000 a year. Everybody knew that Ivan could do the job. Ivan increased UVI enrollment by 8% one semester, mm. doing my thing. I got called into my boss at the time, her office. This was the first time in my life I ever experienced anything like this. She said to me, she told me to sit down. Mm. <laughs> she said, Ivan, um, you know, people may think because you look like us and you sound like us, you're one of us, but the truth is you're a foreigner. I can't let you apply. And I personally feel it wasn't, of, it wasn't for ability because I was doing the job. But I think it was a bit too much. Do you think it is the case here that a lot of the backlash that we're getting, where work permits and certain jobs is concerned, is because they feel certain people should be making that money? And does the minimum wage policy that you're putting in place level that playing field now? Because even in the hotel industry, I don't want, I could, I could talk, but that's a little too close to my cool now, period, ain't gone just yet. England, even if they buy every again in trouble. But you have some persons in the hotel industry, more skilled than some of the people that they bring here. They have to show them what to do, but they're making less. How do we fix that? Right. So <laughs> let's go back, let's go back to the early 90s where you had these small boutique hotels that were owned by individuals. Okay. Right. And so then we saw a lot of Anguillians in high positions in those hotels. Mm -hmm. A lot of those hotels sold out to large multinational corporations right. with, with international chains of hotels. And the whole dynamic changed because these, ho these large chains now wanted to bring in their people to be in key positions in their properties here in Angola. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where the understudy program really took off because all of a sudden we were seeing Anguillans who were once excelling and at the high levels were not being marginalized. When you say the understudy program took off, you mean the understudy program now or there was a program no, no, no. before? there was a program before. There was a program before? There's been always some level of an understudy program. I would not have known. Yes. There's always Did you been. know that? I know that the uh, let me put it this way I know that in the war permit application mm -hmm. there speaks to the question of a successor yes it's always been so from I, the 1990s I, I it's, it's always been there. the issue has always been that before it never really had and I keep using this phrase it didn't have teeth okay, okay. okay? and so over the years <clears throat> what was happening was 
Okay, the, 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 the work permit form speaks about an understudy. Oh. A lot of the properties would put people, maybe just pull a name, put there, who they knew couldn't fill the role. Oh. And then two, three years later, we're back to square one. Okay? This new policy that we're rolling out now strips all of that away. But so they're, that, still, they're still doing that? With this new policy, uh -huh. they're not going to have the opportunity to do it. So how do you check? Because of the way the policy is set up. Uh -huh. So in other words, within three months, so if, for example, Ivan, <coughs> I grant you a work permit for your business. Uh -huh. Within three months, you have to identify an understudy for that position. Uh -huh. And you have to then look at a person that is going to be on a study. You have to see what are their strengths and weaknesses, whether it is that they are a year or two out from it, whether they are two or three years, four or five years, or six or seven years. Okay? Because you must understand, too, depending on the, the size of the business, you may not necessarily have the breadth of, of human resource right. to necessarily be able to adequately fill those voids. I, I, and I get that, and I don't want us to dive too far in that part yet because I want to address the topic of compensation. Right. So people in an understudy program, you have some that are advanced, mm -hmm. but they're not being compensated. Right. You have some that obviously need some work, but there's not the motivating factor of compensation. Right. How does this be, how is this addressed by the minimum wage? So the minimum wage is not really going to address salaries at the high levels of, of the profession. Uh -huh. The minimum wage is basically to ensure that the persons at the, the grassroots, the persons at the lower levels, at the entry levels, at the entry levels are not disadvantaged. Uh -huh. Okay? So the person who's been a supervisor or a manager, he's not going to depend on minimum wage. Okay, but minimum wage doesn't address salary positions and, and fear, um, fear compensation and bargaining. Minimum and wage there. simply addresses a, 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 a rate that you cannot pay anybody below. That's essentially what the boys is on to. That's it. Okay? And it, it takes into, into consideration the economics of the country because I've been doing some reading up on, on, on a number of other islands, uh -huh. right? And I, I came across a fascinating document, um, you know, where in Bermuda, they are in the past, they have established a minimum wage. They are actually rolling out a new minimum wage um, next year, uh -huh. right? And it takes you through the whole process of how they arrived at it, uh -huh. right? And uh, so that is something that we are now in the process of going through with the minimum wage committee. But it's always good to see what other islands have done in terms of how they arrive at their minimum wage. So, so not to reinvent the wheel. Right. For most of the islands around here, minimum wage is sometimes starts at five US dollars. And what's our minimum wage now? We don't have one. We don't, right? have, we don't one. have one. But what, what is the least somebody makes now? Again, it varies. It varies? It varies. So, right. uh, I think we've, we've gone ahead a little bit, and I, yeah. want, to, I want to back the conversation right. up a little. Where are we with the minimum wage, the establishment of a minimum wage? I know you mentioned that there is a minimum wage committee. Mm -hmm. 
what exactly is the minimum wage committee looking at now? Are they looking at a minimum, the what that rate would look like? What are the parameters for this right. committee? So again, I just had a report open on my phone. There's a preliminary report that was sent to us, right? So right now, the ministry now has a work plan. So we have just been presented with the work plan from the committee. Uh -huh. And as you go through, you'll see there's a detailed table of, of, of dates and, 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 and different action points. So we are, we are studying this. We're going to send it to executive council. But the committee is working. And uh -huh. I just want to show you um, the different things. Um, maybe you want to take a peek at it. Not necessarily to okay, but So the committee has been working, right? So what we hope to do is to prepare a paper for council to give council an update as mm -hmm. to where the committee is at, what are the next steps forward, and then we go from there. The committee is continuing to meet, sometimes on a weekly basis, sometimes on a bi-weekly basis, and they are moving ahead, right? Mm -hmm. So we are anticipating that we have something tangible by the end of this year, something tangible. One of the things that I saw there, and maybe you want to jump on it. I, I, I don't know if we have the leverage to, to speak. But I don't to, want to go into much detail because it's again, not going to yet. I will say this though. You're hoping to have something tangible, and when you say something tangible, you mean that there will be a minimum wage implemented by then, or you will have something no. that you can put out? to the public. We have to come out to the public. And that part is... Of this, part of this is going to be coming to the public. So we're going to be having certain proposals. The committee will have certain proposals. We'll come to the public. They will discuss. Now, interestingly about this minimum wage, this whole scenario, a lot of people have been saying to me, shouldn't we have sector-specific minimum wages? So should a maid in a room have a certain minimum wage around that as opposed to maybe a construction worker, those kinds of things. I would think so. Okay. But then there's also another view that says you should have a flat rate. Because I think what people fail to understand that your bargaining right to, to, get, to get a proper earnings for your services mm -hmm. is not determined by a minimum wage. I agree. If you are a skilled mason you're not going to go out and, and get minimum wage for your work. You're going to be saying, okay, I deserve, what, $150 a day and there was something going for that, that, that kind of work. But, but that needs the establishments of unions, and we don't see that around here. <laughs> you get into driving some issues. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is progress report. And usually, uh, minister, <laughs> usually, minister, I will be the first to tell Ivan, <laughs> let's pump the brakes a little bit because we don't have time today. Yeah. However... This is a two-episode special, uh -huh. and so we have time to eat. We have time to eat. You get into a topic that's dear to me. Uh, you really? Yeah. Well, let's take the next ten minutes and talk about that because we we we'll take the next ten minutes to talk about that. We we'll 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 jump into um, what's the other thing we're talking about? We're gonna talk about the understudy program yeah. in depth. In depth, in depth yes. when we come back, we're gonna go a little bit more into the minimum wage again. We're gonna yeah. speak to that minimum wage versus livable wage so i am going to give you and ivan the next 
nine minutes, yeah. Ivan, because you know me with time. Yeah. The next nine minutes to have this union full discussion on unions. Because yeah. I think all of us sitting in this room share the same opinion. So <laughs> right. And, and let me just say why I say we, that because we can get into it. you said something there. You said something that they should be able to bargain, uh, 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 to speak on their skill set and be compensated for it. But where's the backative without a union? Now, me, I might say, oh yeah, well I ain't doing that. I walk away from the table. You might say the same thing. I know for sure, Glenn. Everybody's gonna say you know how long I sit down in this. It's, okay, go ahead, find somebody else. <laughs> but then everybody has that decorum. So where? Are uh, we with unions in Angola? I remember there was one that was going to start with hotel workers. I don't know where it is. So why we've never seen that? And will that be a bit of under God and a motif for the minimum wage? Right. So let me be candid, frank, and still thoughtful at the same time. That's people. <laughs> because I'm also <laughs> conscious that my very public pronouncements on unions have drawn fire from corporate circles. Okay. Okay? Um, unions are generally not generally welcome in corporate circles. But I feel passionately about it because that's how I came up. Uh-huh. As a teacher, all my life as a teacher, I was a member of the Angola Teachers Union. I was even an executive member of the Angola Teachers Union. I was a treasurer for many years. Go ahead, Eva. When, <laughs> when I entered the, the regular public service, so to speak, I became a member of the Angola Civil Service Association. Oh. Okay? So I have been very vocal. I have uh, I've delivered a ministerial statement in the House of Assembly uh-huh. about the need for unions. Uh-huh. So I've been very vocal, uh-huh. right? <laughs> but what is happening with our workers, I think they only see the need to come together when something happens. Uh-huh. Hey. <laughs> when somebody gets fired, uh-huh. somebody is victimized, or even in the public service, unions, union members only come out when there's talks of salary negotiations and salary increases and so forth. Money, 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 money. Right? Like, so the issue in Angola is that people do not see the benefits of unions outside of when something happens to them, touches them personally. And then they realize by themselves, lonesome selves, mm. they can be chipped away and discarded. When they have groups of people around them, it becomes that much harder to disintegrate. Okay? I have not been public about unions since my pronouncements then because obviously I went on to other issues. Mm-hmm. But I think the workers in Angola have to come to the realization that there are so many benefits to unions things like better working conditions. Um, there's a whole gamut of things. Safety, better occupational health and safety. And there's a whole gamut of reasons that unions, and unions actually can benefit the, 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 the corporate sector because then standards. the standards, setting standards and so forth, right? So, Ivan, there's a need, but I don't think... Dr. Kachia, in the absence of unions, is that the job of the Labor Department? No. 
What is the job of the Labor Department? The job of the Labor Department is to ensure that there's fairness and equity in the workplace, that when there are issues arising in the workplace, that they adjudicate those issues. And let me be very clear here. The Labor Department is not solely on the side of the workers mm -hmm. or the employers. They are on all sides. Positive. You must, must be equal fairness and equity for everybody. Even myself as minister, yes, I look out for the benefit and welfare of the workers, <clears throat> but I also am conscious that I have to be speaking with the, the owners, the general managers, and I have to ensure as well that I'm not discriminating on any one side. I want to show there's fairness and equity across the board, and that's what I try to do. Okay. So, so today, mm -hmm. you know, I've stayed quiet across it. Yeah. <laughs> so a couple of a couple of points. Mm -hmm. We can start at the end and go forward. We look forward to having um, someone from the labor department come on and speak a little bit more about the role and the responsibilities and the functions of the labor department because I think that is something that the general public. Yeah as a whole can benefit from, to hear from them, and to have those conversations with and them. And that will happen. Mm -hmm. that so will we, happen. we look forward to that. That will happen. This season. This season. This season. Mm -hmm. But unions, I always find it a very strange <laughs> thing mm -hmm. that you have government advocating for unions. Mm -hmm. Because outside of <laughs> Anguilla, very rarely do you see governments advocating for the creation of unions simply because unions are those that hold governments in particular to task. Mm -hmm. So I don't understand why as a people, and I'll tell you my first real eye-opening experience with what happens here because of the lack of unions. It was when, and we're going to get into this discussion in the next episode, mm -hmm. but it was when the Labor Relations Act, the amendments to that act, was put out for public consultation. I think this may have been 2018, thereabouts, if, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Somewhere between, between 2017 and 2019, I know this was on the table. And those consultations were happening. And when I looked at who was attending the consultation, it was the employers. <laughs> and right. I said, now if the employers are there and they're giving their input, who is advocating on behalf of the employees? Mm -hmm. And so I went and I spoke to some persons within, particularly within the, the, the tourism industry, and I said, these meetings are happening. Why aren't you coming? For me to get fired? For me to speak up and to be victimized? And I go... This is exactly why you need a union. Yeah, but a union will only take my money. So until we recognize, and, and it, it speaks to where we are as a society, quite frankly. If the only time we recognize the needs is when it hit us personally, then, again, it speaks to, it speaks to where we are as a society, and I don't know how do you fix that issue. Look, men, could I interject there? Right ahead. We have to, a minute My mother, <laughs> may her soul rest in peace, for many years as a, as a member of the Teachers' Union, 
would be coordinating visits from unions in the UK. Uh -huh. Those unions would come down every summer and do workshops to teachers. They were sent teaching aides. So there were benefits to being members of a union because you were able to get financial and technical assistance. Oh. When, when the union here would have issues, they could call upon unions overseas to lend a helping hand in terms of resources, in terms of even funding lawyers. So I think sometimes we got to look beyond our shores and think globally, regionally, and globally, uh -huh. that when we have these <clears throat> wider bodies of, 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 of unions across in other countries, unions have, have buildings, they, they rent offices, mm -hmm. you know. So, I mean, and, and they provide a, a level of services to their members that have credit unions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You understand me? That provide loans to their members. Mm -hmm. So I think in Angola, we need to think a little more globally and regionally than just within our small street. I'll, I'll say this as we close. I've, I... I I hope folks get the underlying message of everything that's been said thus far in, in this episode. But it seems like the advancement that we need to see, the growth that we need to experience, not just for me, not for you, for generations to come, yeah. is dependent on us coming together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And not just us as Anguillians, but us as Caribbean people, because we... If we're being honest, our population is of such now where we have, I would call us a little pillow. Mm. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. we don't know what a true Anguillian is, but everybody is Anguillian enough. Mm. And I think once we start to put that in perspective, a, a lot of the things that we, we are at a stopgap with and, and, and we have these bottlenecks of issues, um, I think those will be addressed. And... At the risk of of not marginalizing our beings and phobic, I think some people just don't get that we need more mm -hmm. to grow in mm -hmm. order to, to to see what we want to see, and mm -hmm. that's a hard conversation to have. Um, I'm hopeful that when we look at minimum wage, that these are the conversations that that. These are, these are the underlying tones in the conversations that come out because it's not just about what you're making. Mm -hmm. And that's why I said that story. Mm -hmm. Those words stuck with me forever. She mm -hmm. said, even not because you look like us and sound like us, you're one of us. Truth is, you're a foreigner. And I've never felt that hurt again because I was like, hey, I got someplace I could go. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, that was home. Um, and I took my skills are whatever home but it shouldn't have to be like that here mm -hmm. and when I say that I mean for others mm -hmm. and even for some of us because we will touch on this in the next episode too there is some of that going on even for Anguillians on the job mm -hmm. but we will get in those things in the next episode which will come to you on Thursday we're gonna roll right into it with the honorable Minister of Home Affairs, Minister Kenneth Hodge. Until that time, this has been another episode, not a wonderful episode of Progress Report, with my lovely co-host, Glenniva Hodge. I tell her again, and I went to my dialect just now, this horse show, you know, she run things. I just <laughs> sit on this side. All right, we'll see you guys in the next episode.